0: yes very well very well thanks for joining us tonight it's been about we, we spoke round about Jer, Jer's time last year august right. um and i was thinking when i was making some notes on the show today how much has changed from mm. august to where we are when we look at the UK economy. It's, it's, you know, so much is happening every day, every week and every month. And um, But we've got loads of questions coming in, but I just wanted you to reflect on that. Looking back, you know, let's say Christmas and uh, as we come into the new year, how differently do you think, uh, or think or feel things are politically and in terms of Scottish independence and the constitutional debate and also what's happening at Westminster?
1: Well, Westminster is, of course, very live right now. Um, We'll know a lot more by nine o'clock this evening because will Boris Johnson survive or not? But actually, in some ways, that's actually, you know, almost irrelevant um, because the Tories are out of control and they're not doing anything to bring the economy under control. And everything that the Bank of England is doing at the moment seems to me to be completely misplaced with regard to what is required to actually put the economy right. Well, yeah, if we go back to the beginning of the year, We had got inflation. We had got government deficits. We had got an energy crisis. We knew that Putin was threatening, but had not invaded uh, Ukraine. But little has changed in that way. And we did know that energy was going to be in short supply. We knew that food was going to be in short supply, which, by the way, is a bigger crisis than energy, because I think energy can be solved by OPEC. But... Everything has changed in the sense that inflation is much higher than we thought it was going to be, and I agree. I, I've been caught out by that as much as everybody else has, else has been. And we've been caught out by the government's failure to react to the situation in any effective way, including the recent emergency budget, which completely missed the target. Um, and as for the spring budget, it was just appalling in terms of its non-eventness half an hour of nothing said. And yeah, kind of and universally, universally derided as well, wasn't it? There was you no... Know, I I sat in the Radio 2 studios for the BBC in London that day with um, Mark Littlewood from the Institute for Economic Affairs and, you know, Comrade Littlewood, as they call him, and I are not exactly on the same political uh, page. But he could find nothing very good about it either. We were agreed. It was a complete damn squib. It was a failure. Um, And we both agreed he'd have to go back, by the way, which, of course, he has already. And I suspect he'll need to do again. But fundamentally, in all of this, it seems as though... The desire to save Boris Johnson has meant that every other agenda, including what's happening in Scotland, what's happening in Wales, what's happening in Northern Ireland. Well, yeah, even I mean, and perhaps most notably in Northern Ireland, but all the devolved countries and all the countries that could be independent are just being ignored and sacrificed to the Boris Johnson agenda. And that's the massive change, I think. I mean, even more than ever, there's complete contempt for everything outside Westminster.
0: Yeah, and I I think everyone can see that um, a government that hobbles from one crisis to the next, which is what you get when you have Johnson as a leader, ends up being unable to do anything else but deflect and trying to manage this crisis. And this this comes home to roost when you have serious crisis. I think you can get away with this when everything's all right and the economy's ticking over and there's no huge you know, no huge issues are happening now or we're facing, but that's clearly what the Conservative MPs who, who are looking to vote against Johnson are saying, is that we, we have to address things, or the or the public will never vote for us, um, you know, in the next general election. So you can only do that for so long. um Okay, let's throw it then. Now we've had that little summary. Um, let's throw it for our first
1: question. Can you see that, Richard? Yeah, I am. How do you think politicians yeah. aren't demonstrating to the people living and working in Scotland that the Jers figures, as you describe them, in the Scottish Parliament committee, are crap? Look, it's really interesting what's happening. I mean, let's just take that emergency budget I just referred to, you know, 15 billion pounds of supposed spending, um, plus a windfall tax, which supposedly recovers some of that cost. Not done in consultation, of course, with the Scottish government. There's no real indication that Kate Forbes had any consultation with what was going on here. It was all announced in an incredible hurry. Um, It was 15 billion pounds spent to basically um, try to divert attention from the Sue Gray report. And as we know, that's failed because the Tory MPs are still having a vote of confidence um, in Johnson because of the Sue Gray report effectively tonight. So in that sense, it failed for the Tories. But what did it do for Scotland? It basically said, we will impose a settlement on you. There was no attempt to provide a share of funds to Holyrood for it to decide how to apportion those funds to best effect. There was no consideration of the fact that Scotland's situation is different from England's. Let's be honest, most people in England don't know that. Um, Most people in England have never been to Scotland and don't express any desire to go to Scotland. They don't realise that need in Scotland is actually different just because of effects of geography and so much else. So what is going on here is the reclaiming of power. Now, there's nothing greatly surprising about that. That seems to be what the Tories have been doing all along. But what it does do is leave jurors looking particularly irrelevant I mean I've always been dismissive of Jers because you know it gets its accounting wrong it accounts for income on a different basis from expenditure it doesn't take into consideration tax revenues which should be taxed in Scotland but which are actually taxed in England and all sorts of other things but here we have a massive spend and a new tax which we can't guarantee in any way will be properly accounted for with regard to Scotland at all so Jers becomes a bit of a sideshow um the simple fact is that if Kate Forbes really believe that she's actually managing her budget in the way which she's allowed to do, which she made the claim of with regard to the spending review, she pointed out quite clearly that when the IFS said, oh, she may run a three billion pound deficit, she had to say, A, I'm le- legally not allowed to. And B, you're making this up within because what you're claiming is within the parameters of risk that she's allowed to budget for. But if she really believes that she's in control, then she should scrap hers. Because Jersey's not representing what's actually happening inside the Scottish government as we now have it. Doesn't reflect what's really within the power or control of the Scottish government. Doesn't even reflect in almost absolute certainty what is being spent for Scotland and what is being collected in Scotland. So just get rid of it. It's crap. Abolish it. Well, I hope that's um,
0: answered your question, Hazel. Um, I I think the... um that this administration feel like they're in a no win situation if they keep chairs then you know it's it's clearly not reflecting the economy either you know we would hope that it'd be stronger than it appears in Jersey it may be weaker who knows you need to look at the complete methodology but if they were to scrap that and if they were to have something else then you know that's a real difficult situation for them to manage in terms of the um, impression that that would be given by the mainly unionist press and all the figures wow. after that, that came out with that would be would be would be seen to be, well, of course, that's what the figures are going to show because it's been created by the Scottish government. So it's a really difficult situation, I think, to be in a situation where those figures will be perceived as being any more meaningful than they
1: are. I kind of do and don't agree with you. Um, Of course, the unionists will jump up and down about the fact that the Scottish government scraps this. But they jump up and down every year and say this proves that Scotland can't be independent, and that's crap. Um, we know it is. And that's more so damaging, I mean, isn't it? It's much more, it's more damaging. More damaging. Yeah. Frankly, I think that what the Scottish government should be doing is actually, and I'm going to find a link for you in a second, uh, and it's going to take me a second to do it because I haven't thought about doing this before, um, uh, because I've written a program which bizarrely I'm discussing with uh, some countries around the world, well, not bizarrely at all. This is a program called Making Tax Work, and I'm going to put the link. um, Is the chat live for everyone or not? Yep, yep, yep. Everyone can see that. Yep. All right, there we go. Look, how do I put a comment in there? I can't even see the comment box on my version. No, you can't. If you drop it in the private chat, I can drop it on the screen. Can you put? If I drop it in the private chat where I can see the box, I think there's so many comments I can't see it. Um, Look, this is the link now. It looks a pretty unexciting link, but actually it's a document called Making Tax Work, which I've written with another um, academic at Sheffield University where I'm based, although I don't live there. And we've been doing this with a thing called the Global Initiative for Fiscal Transparency, which sounds really exciting, but it's backed by the IMF and the World Bank. Um, so I'm working with some pretty powerful organisations there. Um, and the World Bank in particular is quite keen on this work. And what it's about is actually talking about the powers that a government has got, the decision making that it has does the way it manages its tax system and its expenditure and the way it accounts for it and we thought through this process from you know beginning to end if you like and that's very unusual because frankly no one designs tax and budgeting systems from scratch but we've said what would we do if we were to do this and I mean I'm having discussions with governments mainly in developing countries I say around this program because that's really where they thought it would be used but the Scottish government could use this idea it could talk about what its powers are and how it's used them. It could set out its logic for tax. It could set out its logic for why it can't do certain things as well as what things it can do. It could prepare a set of accounts in a meaningful way. And one of the things we talk about very much is about how accounts can be prepared in here. And it could ask, frankly, local government in Scotland to do much the same thing as well, because that would also be useful, because I believe that local government needs to be well and truly accountable for what it does as well. Now, the point, therefore, is that actually, if you're going to scrap jurors, you've got to put something in its place. My suggestion is that this might be what needs to go in the place of jurors. Have a look at making tax work. Have a think about it. Talk about whether there is a better system of accountability that lays the path for independence and the decision making that will be required then. And make it a positive, not a negative, and say this is because we believe we're going to be accountable in full for all our taxes in the future. I think that's a great political move myself.
0: Yeah, no, that that, that is a very different approach. That's putting some real substance and an underlying um, methodology underneath it. I feel something similar. I know we've spoken before about the role of corporate governance. Which seems to be a topic which is never really spoken about how businesses operate. And this is something I feel really, you know, is really important as we're looking towards how we say we're restructuring JERS. Well, how do companies operate? What are they incentivized to do? How do we account for that? Do you think that's an important role as well when we look at, you know, how an
1: economy really works and how we measure that economy? Well, yeah, I do. Because, I mean, that's one of the things that JERS is completely ridiculous for. Because it actually produces numbers which are not in any shape or form for any entity that I can recognise that exists. There is no Scottish government that has those numbers. They're made up as far as Scotland is concerned because the Scottish government's numbers are included in yours, but a whole load of other stuff for which it has no responsibility is included. And nobody else is accountable for that either. There's no Scottish minister who stands up and says, yeah, well, I'll take responsibility for the rest, including the deficit, because the Scottish government can't run a deficit. It has to balance its books, for example. So in that sense, this is about an political escapism by the unionists, to run a fantasy set of accounts which try to show that Scotland can't be independent when nobody is responsible for the numbers that are actually produced, which is, again, why the Scottish government shouldn't do it. What I'm proposing here is that the Scottish government should account for what it can do, what it actually has done, what it will do, what the consequences are, and lay out the decision making processes that are involved and how it will consult, how it will account for those and what the consequences are. Now, that to me is about building the relationship of trust between the Scottish government and the Scottish people, which fundamentally underpins any tax system. And that's fundamental to the future of the success of the independent Scottish economy. So let's trial it now. You know, we've got to, let's be blunt. Whatever happens, we've got a few years in hand. So let's get on with it.
0: I I also think if that document was able to say, as you said, what we can't do, and and highlight things like corporate governance. You know, we are unable to raise corporation tax, but we can't. You know, with no form of governance to say to people that you know shareholder motive can't be the
1: only thing that that, that you run your business
0: on. Things like that, I think, would be really really important. Okay, great. You don't well, run that's
1: like- a company registry either, which is also incredibly important. So Scotland has no control over money that moves out of the income tax system into the corporate tax system, and therefore how much moves out of you know, the scottish tax net etc ridiculous Absolutely. that you'll do that that's just a guess okay um may, uh, a quick answer <laughs> i don't know is the honest answer to that um is it a subject that we discuss? yes um we have definitely discussed the possibility um where would it be uh probably the east coast because i'm a natural east coaster um but that's about as far as we've got have we thought about doing active um visiting to choose somewhere no But I promise you, it's a household debate that's ongoing um, and and realistic. As is here in
0: Barcelona with me. We actually tried to move back to Scotland. Uh, We searched for a property for nearly two months. Um, We couldn't find anywhere uh, that we could um, rent and buy in anywhere we were looking. And we weren't really that fussy. It It really brought home to me how difficult the housing market is in the UK, and Scotland specifically. I mean, we looked up for a house, a three-bedroom house in Scotland, and I think there was 15 houses available. You know, it was just an, an, an incredible. So huge, huge issues. And I'd like us to touch on that as we kind of well, look actually, at the difficulties yeah. with Scotland. But yeah, please go on.
1: Well, actually, I think that was a really relevant point because when we did look, you know, there's right move and everything else. So, so you can start to do your searches from a distance as well as having to come up. And, you know, I having to come up, I don't mind ever coming to Scotland. But the point about it is... Although I live in what people would call fairly you know, prosperous part of East Anglia, very near Cambridge, um, actually, the price differential was I was going to pay more in Scotland than I am where I am now. And yeah, that's a factor, particularly when you are um, 64, which I am. Um, how much more do I want to spend on a house in retirement? Um, not that I'm planning to retire, by the way, but in theory, I'm retired in a couple of years' time. Yeah, I don't think there's much chance of that. Okay, quite, quite, yeah, quick question. Quick question. And I said
0: well, we won't spend too much time on currency and banking and stuff because I think there's a lot of other things. But this this is a very salient point I think is you know there's a there is a, a certainly a groundswell of opinion within the movement and academics and economists who are saying a Scottish currency would be fine for Scotland it would work. But but the SNP still hasn't come out and categorically said we will move as soon as we can to a Scottish currency. Any thoughts why that's the case?
1: There is an embedded body of power around Nicola Sturgeon um, which appears to be immovable um, which clearly links to Andrew Wilson and his thinking around the Scottish Growth Commission and the advisors who influence that, who are desperately conventional in their approach to economics and who appear to be heavily influenced by the banking community who say that this can't be done. Um, Now, I would agree that on occasions Tim Rideout's approach is a little simple, um, but he's actually a good communicator of complex ideas in a simple way. But the truth is that although sometimes he will make things seem simple, the reality is that actually most things about money are simpler than people want or or bankers and others want you to realise. And most of the issues around currency are not hard and most of them could be managed. And I have discussed this recently elsewhere. But bluntly, I can't see any reason why there could not be the transition that um, Tim talks about um, and others at commonweal and elsewhere have talked about in a short period of time, uh, within months of independence to actually having a fully fledged floating Scottish currency that might well be valued more than the uh, pound in the remainder of the UK. Uh, because, frankly, the pound in the rest of the UK is in a pretty dodgy territory now anyway, largely because of the policies that are being pursued by the UK government. A strong, stable, small state with a clear direction of travel backed by high levels of renewable energy, um, water for export and a strong population with good training and a strong legal system which is upheld rather than trashed by its prime minister is in a pretty good position to have a currency, if anything, worth more than the pound rather than less. The current pound, so I just don't get it. I don't understand it, and you've got to ask Nicola Sturgeon and hold her to account. One day, I mean, we we rely either on Nicola Sturgeon changing her mind, and there's no sign of that, or, or moving on. There's no sign of that either. Both are impediments to progress, I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree wholeheartedly with that, Alex. I, I hope that's answered your question. My my certain my my feel is that again, looking at the Sustainable Growth Commission, there's a hope that we can move from sterlingisation to the euro, and I think the hierarchy are thinking we don't need scottish currency and i know that won't get as uh, currently with that roadmap we can't get into the euro without our own currency sure. but i think there's a strong belief that we do not ever need our own currency we can go from sterling to the the euro it's a very eurocentric um uh, document and administration and i think that's a huge huge danger
1: and uh, trying I to jump to massive danger which i would very very strongly urge um scotland to avoid let's be clear The European Central Bank is having to put aside 200 billion euros at the moment to support the debts of smaller European currencies denominated in euros that are under threat at present because of their plan change to interest rates and the way in which markets are moving. And that is crazy uh, to actually move into a dependency situation on another country uh, or another territory and another currency. So, no, Scotland needs its own currency and definitely not the euro. Um, the one thing Gordon Brown got right and um, well, you can argue forever about Gordon Brown's legacy but he did get right he stopped us going to the euro and thank god for that and Scotland has to avoid it as well yeah i agree completely
0: okay i've got a question and a comment um <laughs> okay, so, so, hold, so hold on because i want to put that i want to put this comment up and i think this is you know i'm sure will be other interesting questions but for me this is one of the fundamental things for us to that we try to address um on um on scotonomics. Um so yeah so that's that's that that's the question and i think there's a Scott in england will sink like a stone as a comment i'll find that but what's your thought there you go
1: what's your <laughs> thoughts on that I don't agree with that. Um, I'm not quite sure why people think that Scotland is particularly subsidising England. Um and that also shows that there's a belief that somehow the value of money is dependent upon moving cash around when in fact, you know, England can't go bust. England simply can't the same as Scotland couldn't go bust if it had its own currency, because any government with its own currency and its own central bank can never go bust because it can always create more. Would there be a difference in value? Uh, between the Scottish pound and the English pound. Look, I think the English pound is in a very difficult situation at the moment. And I do actually think that some of the value of the English pound is dependent upon, as i just said, some things which are very fundamental to Scotland, and in particular, renewable energy. And in due course, one of the scarcest resources the world's going to know, which is water. Um, And, you know, I think that the UK and even beyond, we we will see water being piped in a way we never have before. Um, And Scotland is going to be a strong... Uh, exporter of water because it's got quite a lot of it ahead of population i mean simple fact you know scotland is very well blessed with fresh water um so do i think that scotland has a stronger physical backing for its money than england has in that sense of having clear competitive advantage which is of great significance for smaller states look at norway um as an obvious comparator um yeah um do i think that scotland's going to sink like a stone without Scotland? england's going to sink without a a stone without scottish money no um do i think that the english are in trouble without scotland's political sense um on display in westminster trying to bring balance to an unbalanced political system which is what it's got yeah i think that's going to be the biggest threat to england but not scottish money sorry
0: um again it's always nice when we agree i agree completely and that's one of our messages is that it you know we hear consistently from the unionist side that scotland will be an economic basket basket case and i think our arguments are undermined when we go back and say well england will fail without us there's no doubt in my mind and as any economist any economist who would look at the two countries would say england or our uk will be fine scotland will be fine Relatively speaking, they might be a little bit better off or or worse off over a short and medium term, but both those economies are strong enough to continue where they are. The huge issue is around where the wealth is allocated and who gets that wealth, and that's what we need to address when we become independent in Scotland, and hopefully that will allow our UK to address
1: those issues as well uh, once there's a constitutional uh, change. I agree with that point entirely, and also where the taxing rights are going to be um, allocated as well. We have to make sure that Scotland can claim the right to tax profits and wealth generated in Scotland.
0: Okay, but interesting to hear what other people think because I know that is you know there was a question and a comment there, so I think it's important to to have that discussion. Um, Okay, we've got another one around um, um, who spends money for us.
1: Well, look, there's this question about what is the Scottish deficit? Um, Scotland, Scottish, the, Scot- the Scottish government hasn't got a deficit. So in terms of accountability, the Scottish government has nothing to account for to anybody on running a deficit because it doesn't. Therefore, we're down to the Westminster government um, and its accountability for a deficit. Um, first of all, though, does a deficit matter? um why are we getting so obsessed about this thing called a deficit because bluntly we need deficits um I'm strong for, I'm strongly in favor of deficits why because at times when the private sector does not inject enough new money into the economy by lending and we are heading for recession at present, and we are heading for lower business investment and lower borrowing. And we're seeing the housing market begin to take lose some of its heat, which might be advantageous, but also means there's less lending. Add up all those things and the banks don't create as much money. There's only two sources of, mo- of money creation in our economy, which provides the money which keeps the world going around in our country. One is that back- commercial bank lending uh, and the other is government deficit spending that's it so if you haven't got commercial bank lending and people are still repaying their bank loans, the amount of money going around in the economy falls, and you face the potential risk that there is actually a liquidity crisis. And in liquidity crisis, businesses fail because there's not enough borrowing capacity and so on available in the economy. So we do potentially need deficits. I never presume that we shouldn't have deficits in an independent Scotland. We'll need them. It's the only way the Scottish pound will be spent into existence, for example, and the Scottish pound will need to be spent into existence. And there should be deficits now. The question is... Is Scotland being given enough choice about the way in which those deficits are being generated at present? And that brings us back to the devolved settlement. The devolved settlement was always a, pretty much a con trick. Um, you know, the Tories stitched up jurors and Labour stitched up the devolved settlement to make give the appearance of having solved the problem of the demand for devolved power without actually devolving very much power to Scotland in any effective way and keeping far too many of the controls in Westminster. It was a contract and it hasn't been changed. Um, And the reality is that what we now need is a proper devolved settlement for Scotland, which if there isn't independence, gives the Scottish government much greater economic power, including better, much more effective power of taxation and much uh, closer control of spending over a much wider range of issues and the power to borrow to make good the deficits. Or rather, and this is the critical point, because governments that can create their own currency don't borrow. As a matter of fact, you can't borrow your own currency. Um, What you do do is take deposits from people in the community you serve. You actually provide a savings facility. And again, this is one of the things I think that the Scottish government should be looking at now to see whether it can actually change the environment around thinking about the relationship between people in Scotland saving and community interest. I would love it if Scotland, the Scottish government set up a savings and loan fund, a um, oh God, the name's gone completely blank as to the lending scheme, which is so common in Ireland. Um, and I will try and remember it in a minute, but it's gone blank absolutely straightforwardly at this moment, Um, a a savings fund for people in Scotland to actually deposit funds in where some of that money at least is used directly for investment direct into the Scottish economy um, to prove that actually deficits aren't bad things. Deficits actually provide the funding for government to do good things on behalf of the community. I think that's something that Scottish government needs to explore.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly, I certainly think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things we can look at to try and improve the situation we are we have been left with it, the devolved settlement. And um, but but that's what's at the heart of that, John. It's a really good question, but the heart of that is that um, Westminster spends the majority of the Scottish budget and yeah. it decides what to do and, and and where it goes. And that's what the devolved settlement is. There isn't really anything we can do about it. Uh, Richard, I just want to show you a couple of these comments from our audience when you said
1: you're thinking about coming up. <laughs> yeah, noted. Peebles is stunning. I know Peebles. Uh, Kettle's Peebles on. Is. I like that idea. Have... Don't pop round to Shirley.
0: Don't to because she said you will have already had your tea. So <laughs> I have already had my tea. <laughs> we, 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 we've mentioned we got this early We've mentioned deficit there. I also want to cover debt, um, and this is um, a question from Conrad, and it's around this idea of sovereign debt and that Scotland has been has received the benefits of the current Westminster borrowing, um, and therefore we should, in some way, kind of morally pay that back. Conrad, tell me in the comments if I if I've um, interpreted your your point incorrectly there, but that's what I feel came from that.
1: Richard, what's your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. first of all um again i come back to this point what is debt because if you actually look at what debt is it's um people saving with national savings accounts um premium bonds um it's people saving with their pension monies with the government um it can be cash deposits um it is foreign governments who are saving money with the uk government what is debt then Um, this is not actually necessary and qe proves that the government can be funded In theory, in three, maybe four ways. I mean, Given that Scotland isn't going to expect to get aid, I think we'll knock the fourth way out. Uh, That shows, I think, developing countries quite a bit, because that's the fourth way in which developing countries are funded is aid. The Scottish government can be funded by tax. It can be funded by creating money. And remember that the quantitative easing process simply creates new money out of thin air. Um, just as banks create money out of thin air when they lend. So the quantitative easing process is the Bank of England basically creating money out of thin air to fund the government. And, and, And you can't repay that effectively because it's the government lending money to itself. And the final mechanism is what people call borrowing, but which actually I call government deposit taking. It is people who actually want a safe safe place for their money and lend it to the government. Now, so there's a deficit, but there isn't necessarily debt. There's actually what I would call capital, if I thought about this as a a company, Um, because people have actually entrusted their money for safekeeping to the government. And this is stewardship that the government has of that money. Do we have to repay that money when people don't want it repaid for a start? I mean, I don't see pension funds queuing up to say, I want my money back, um, because they can have it back whenever they like. I don't see people queuing up to actually demand that national savings and investments be closed down, because actually when it makes a decent offer, as it did recently with the green bond, then people queue up to give it money. Um, So this idea that there's a debt to be repaid is completely farcical. Simply, I say but it's things.
0: understandable. You mean you know enough Scottish people, and and you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure John, um, who's asked a similar question, is thinking, yeah, but that doesn't seem fair. You know, it doesn't, and we want to leave uh, the 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 current settlement and say, Do you know what? We have had some of this money. Here's some of it back, and it, it okay. makes it a very logical story, isn't it, Richard? You know, you know, you know. It's I don't agree logical. with that. Yeah. But it's very logical, and I think that's what we have to get to the heart of. It's it's helping it's helping people like John understand that it's not a debt like he owes his mate who gave him some money to fix his car. It's a very different type of money.
1: It's a very different situation for that money. But it's not like a household at all. And the difference between a government and a household is that the government can create money at will and and no household can. And no other bank can for its own benefit. But the government owns its own bank and create money for its own benefit. So it's nothing like anybody else. But let's put this in context. The national so-called national debt at the moment is around 2.3 trillion pounds. A trillion has 12 noughts after it. Near enough, 900 um, billion of that is, and that's got, nine noughts after the 900 is owed mm. is owned by the government in other words it owes itself that money so that leaves 1.4 billion of net national debt supposedly which as i point out is all owned by pension funds and individual savers like you and me if we want to put our money on national savings or in pension uh, premium bonds or whatever else now my argument is yeah we should repay that from scotland if ever, England repays that money. Now,
0: and at the, think, that, at the heart of that, Richard, is that England could just pay that off by printing new money. It could it say, we have cleared our debt, you have to clear yours. And if Scotland had to clear the national debt, it would have to pay it by earning English pounds. And we cannot print English pounds. We would have no. to pay that back whereas England no. could print it back. So imagine that you know um, that, um, John owes his mate 50 quid and, and he has to earn to pay that 50 quid back, but his other mate is able to print 50 quid and just give it to John. That's the difference, isn't it, at the, at the heart of the national
1: debt in terms well, of... Well, the, the, pay- the deal would have to cover that possibility. I mean, with the English can't then say you've got to repay our nas- your share of the national debt because we've just printed a pile of currency at the Bank of England to pay it off. But the reality is that there is quite honestly no way on earth that the Bank of England is going to clear the national debt because pension funds, the banking system, and people are desperate to save money with the Bank of England. The banking system in particular is absolutely and completely dependent upon this to make the way that the banking system in the current UK setup works. Um, they have to basically deposit money using government bonds as security to make the banking system work um so that is the primary reason why in fact government debt now exists it could all be paid off but it won't be and if we go back to 1694 when the national debt started you know we've got a 325 year plus record on this now it basically has never gone down it's only ever gone up Um, and that's partly because of inflation bluntly uh, Mm um because it does go up because of inflation because Every time there's a deficit now, it'll be bigger than it was before because the value of the pound is less. So the deficit therefore goes up. Um, but also because no government has found a good reason to pay it off because people are so desperate to save with them. And, and it has they- an important role in the economy, providing
0: people with this secure form of investment. And, you know, it, it, it's... It's not just a figure that's a that, that, that you can look at and say this is really bad, as you've kind of explained, but it is also there because it allows people to borrow safely and the safest possible way. So, it's, so you know, a, a, again, you know, deficits are important, but having but having debt um, and and have the government having debt is also a way of of funding and, and securing cash. So, I, can
1: I can I just turn lot, a, can yeah, I turn lot, lot, ten account. minutes left? Okay, I just want to turn it very briefly on its head. The ability of the government to create money, the ability of the government to attract savings is just the same as actually a government, a a company raising share capital. It's asking people to entrust money to it for their use. That's what the government does when it offers savings products. Now, no company sets itself up to repay its entire share capital. It tries to manage that money well, but it doesn't try to repay it um, in a big way. Um it needs that capital. It's part of its structure of financing. No government is going to pay that off. The Scottish government is going to run a deficit and we should be thinking instead of this money being debt, we should think of it is capital. We should think of it as money on which we owe a return by all means. but it isn't there to be repaid. This is the fundamental bedrock of which the government is built. So let's not think of it as we've got to repay the English. It's their capital now, aren't they privileged to have us not claim a bit of it? Um, in many ways yeah you can have it or we'll create our own capital in Scotland to do without yours. The advantage is to them, not to us um and so I think that we're thinking of this the wrong way around. Um, and I'm actually writing some stuff around this at the moment in a book I'm writing which I hope will be out next year, but it's pretty yeah. hard work. Yeah, I think it is really,
0: really important to to understand what that debt is and then look at it very differently from this moral obligation that we all feel when we owe someone a, a, a debt.
1: I think that's really important. And I'm I understand not sh- the problem. I really yeah. understand the problem because I have to try and create. I mean, my biggest critic is my wife, who keeps saying, explain that again. We'll
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see if you think. Playing, see if you understand Shirley's question, because I'm not exactly sure um, what, what she's coming at. I'll have a stab at it from a MMT perspective, but see what you think, Richard.
1: Look, we can create as much money as we like, uh, in theory. And at the same time, we want to control inflation because inflation is not great, as we're all understanding. Um, Short term price, price fluctuations can create significant penalties, particularly for those who are without their own money, um, without an income that goes up in the same way. So inflation is bad news. So how do we control inflation is the question. Uh, The Bank of England tries to do that by punishing us. Uh, Literally, if you're a borrower, um, whether you've got a mortgage, whether you've got a credit card, whether you've got a personal loan, a car loan or whatever else, they want to put up the interest rate and crush your income even more because you've had to borrow in the first place because you didn't have the wealth to spend without borrowing, which is pretty bloody absurd if you think about it um, but the wealthiest have their situation improved by inflation using the bank of england's model and those who are on lowest income don't which is absolutely crazy they're punished now there is an alternative way of managing inflation in fact it is in use every single day already and that is tax because the government can create money at will and does literally every day day in out to pay its debts it has to cancel that money and the way it cancels that money is by tax so tax does not pay for what the government spends we know that quantitative easing again proved that 99.5 percent of the deficit that was incurred from april 2020 to july 2021 the covid period when 400 billion of deficit was run 99.5% of that was paid for by new money creation. Tax did not pay for it, QE did. So the government can spend without taxation. But if it's going to control inflation, it has to tax back enough. Now, I would argue, and I've got a paper coming out next week to say that QE did not create that inflation, other factors did. And that there is no reason to think 400 billion of money in that situation was any problem. But if you obviously carry on keep on printing money without limit, you will run into inflationary pressure. So a responsible government will always raise tax to always control inflation. And one of the things that I mentioned earlier was that we should have a government who explains its logic and it's a, what it's trying to do with the tax system. Well, one of the things it should be explaining is how it's using the tax system to control inflation. But there isn't a risk that because the government can create money, because the government does create money. The UK government has been doing this since 1866 under the Audit and Exchequer Act of that year, creating money every day, day in, day out, throughout your lifetime. Every single person listening to this, this has happened. It's not something radical, novel or unsurprising. It's just a fact. This is what happens even now in the UK Treasury. So but tax controls that inflation. And let's be honest about that and get on with it and stop this farce of using a central bank and pushing up interest rates to punish people for inflation, which they did not create.
0: Yeah, we're in that situation where um, when you're a ha- when you're a hammer, everything, when the only tool you've got is a hammer, everything's a nail. And that's, that's what right. central banks across the planet are doing right now. They have only got yeah, one absolutely. and it's not working. But Shirley, I just want to make that comment and build on what Richard said there is this is similar to us talking about debt. We're also talking about money and the idea of money as intrinsically having a value, and you can only print so much because it's directly related to value. It's what we used to do when we had when we when we when we had money um, and it was backed by gold. That doesn't happen now. It's a very different process. Money is very different from where it was in the in the seventies. And there's a nice comment here from M. Um, Lars, uh, which I think is quite a nice way of of putting it in terms of you know when you can't just keep printing and printing and printing money, and um, you stop when you feel it's leading to inflation, but there's also a relative um, perspective of what people think your country's doing with that money. If you're investing it, if you're building infrastructure, then that'll be supported internationally. If you're just wasting it and giving it away, you know, which is things like happening in Sri Lanka, then you won't get that international support. So it's really important to think about, it's not just the amount of money, it's what you're doing with it that makes the difference when you're printing it.
1: And accountability is a key part of that as well. Because if people believe you're in control of the process they will lend you money. If they think you're out of control, they won't lend you money. Um, And there is an issue about foreign debt. But let's also be honest, the Scottish government should only borrow in Scottish pounds, presuming we have a pound. So that's it. Ah, Norman jumps on my screen. What do I think of land value tax? Yes, please. I'll have some of that. Um, But will I use it to replace all other taxes, which is what some people who are called Georgists want? No, I would not. Um, there's a good reason why when you go out and play golf, I don't play golf, but I play just enough to know this. There's 14 clubs in your bag, as I recall it. Um, in my six rounds of golf, I realized I couldn't play the entire round with a sandwich. I also needed a driver and a putter as well. And you know, that's why we have about 14 taxes, bizarrely, um, because they do different jobs in the economy. And tax isn't just about raising money, particularly when you understand modern monetary theory and how that works and how we control inflation we want taxes to achieve different goals um redistribution of income and wealth correcting market failure fiscal policy which means we're trying to encourage certain types of economic activity and discourage others those things require different taxes and we don't want one tax with a very high rate we want lots of taxes with relatively low rates trust me we would have to have a land value tax with a very high rate if we only had that tax. So it wouldn't work.
0: Yeah. And, and there's a huge problem running an economy only having one thing that's bringing in tax. You know, there's no resilience in a system when when you've got that. You have to have income coming in, and um, even if it's the same, you know, you're still taxing people from a, a, their, their, their their wealth or taxing them from their income. You've got to have much more resilience. By your have. From-
1: and it's a not the key only key form of it's the, not the only form of rent there is in the economy either is on land. There's lots of other in economic terms, uh, rents. Um, do you uh, think last, last question? because I'm I'm
0: not running over um because we've got a show after this, and I always come you have right. Uh, so, so
1: a 30 second answer. I do think it's dangerous if we become a cashless society because I think there are many people who are dependent on cash to manage their own economic situation at the present point in time. Um, they tend to be on low incomes. Uh, they tend to live in an economy which does use cash, um, where banking is remote from them and is not willing to provide them with services. And because of the risk of literally forcing people outside the mainstream economy, I couldn't possibly risk a cashless society at present.
0: Yeah, I think we're in the same situation with a mobile Society—it's almost impossible to live your life without a smartphone, you know. Which is, which is, which is pushing us all in a very particular, very particular way. And again, there's no it's resilience when everything's yeah. relying on this one bit of technology in a way of delivering it. You know, economies aren't safe and secure in that way. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining, Richard.